Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Matt Halloran. So Ellen Rogan is our guest today. Now, if you don't know who she is, you need to. And it's very simple. All you have to do is type her name into LinkedIn and this unbelievable amount of great content is there for you. She is a financial advisor, was a financial advisor, CPA, author, entrepreneur, business person, speaker, she is really the whole package. And today we're going to focus though a little bit, because I'm sure I could ask her hundreds of questions about just her life in general, but I really want to focus on this idea of authorship and writing a book. Because many of you guys know one of the best ways to accelerate your influence is writing a book. Ellen's had a very different experience than I had when we were talking in our pre-call. And I want to bring some of the great news, the great ideas and the great tips, tricks, and techniques that she has to hopefully help you do that. So Ellen, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Well, if you don't mind, uh, which I feel like a lot of people would have to be under a rock not to know who you are. I've been following you for quite a long time. Can you just give us a little bit about your transition? So uh, like you started being an advisor pretty early in your career uh, and then all of the other things. So would you mind taking a, just a few minutes and give us some background? Yeah. So I was a financial advisor for about 28 years. I left my practice about four years ago. And prior to that, I was uh, an auditor. I don't tell that very often because I want people to think that that's kind of what I'm like. And what I found during, in terms of growing my practice, um, that I really, really loved speaking. And that was how I grew my practice in the early days. And I really had this vision that wouldn't it be cool if I could just do that or do training and speaking and writing? And that started to be way more interesting to me. And part of it was I felt called to serve more people than I could sitting across from the table. Hey there, it's Eric from Proudmouth. You've been listening to Ellen describe her desire to serve more people than she could one-on-one. Do you have that same desire? Well, one way to do that is to start your own financial podcast then people will either become fans because you've taught them how to make their lives better, or they'll decide that they'd rather hire you to do it. It's a win-win. Either way, if you're ready to start your podcast, learn for free in the PodRocket Academy. You can get your membership at proudmouth.com forward slash episode 366. A lot of advisors get to that point, right? It's almost this Maslow's hierarchy, right? You 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 achieve this level of success, and you know that you want to help more people uh, than you can with your one-on-one. And on top of that, we know you have to run a profitable financial services practice. So you know, I'm sure that you had account minimums, or that there's you had a very specific target market. Now, I want you just triggered something there. We're going to kind of go off script, which I do this all the time. So bear with me here. Was that like a light switch epiphany for you? Did you just, when you started doing the training and the coaching outside of just your day-to-day as a financial advisor, talk about the epiphany that you had that you said, oh my God, I want to go in a different Um, direction. Yeah, it was actually a surprise. When I first started in practice, I 
took a Dale Carnegie public speaking class because I never thought I could do that. And the guys I worked for early in my career were doing seminars and things. And uh, it ended up being super fun. And um, back, I don't know, maybe I was in practice, and we'll call it eight years. And one of the mutual fund companies hired me to speak about working in the women's market to their wholesalers. And they paid me. I was like, oh my God, people pay me to do this. This is so fun. So um, it was really a goal of mine from, you know, maybe being in business eight years that, oh, I would love to do more and more of this. I felt like I was bringing out the best in me and serving in the best ways I, I could. And it was an evolution. I always had it in my mind that I wanted to do this and I wrote it as a goal, but it was... Um, you know, fairly farther down in my business career, our kids were almost out of college. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I need to find a great transition plan for my practice and start to plan for the next part of my career. It's interesting. So early on, you had, you got the bug, right? Uh, that you wanted to do this. Uh, and then opportunities continue to present itself, not just with time, but also with with really opportunity, especially for succession planning for you to be able to do this. Now, what was the transition like? Was this um, did you immediately come out of the gate and you're like, I'm killing this or like I think a lot of advisors who want to get to where you are. I think they think that they're just going to turn off their practice and then all of a the sudden they're going to be busy all the time and speaking everywhere and people are going to want copies of their books and things like that. How has that been for you? Yeah, well, I actually was doing some of that. I had a lot of outside business activities while I was running the practice. I had really great team working for me. And a couple of things that I did, I've been on a board and do consulting with a bank in Chicago for 17 years now. So I was doing that as part of it. Um, I was hired by a big mutual fund company to write their women's workshop, which is how my um, last book came to be. And so that was a consulting project. So I was building up some of these and speaking as well. So it wasn't that I turned off one revenue store source and started the other one right away. Well, you just opened the door on the book thing. So let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about the process. So I, I'm sorry, uh, how many have you done now? I've written two books and I was part of a compilation book, gotcha, but I've gotcha. written two books with okay. both with co-authors. Gotcha. Okay. So co-authors, very interesting. So we're going to address that in a minute. Um, but let's talk about the process. So when I wrote my first book, uh, they said that, Matt, you have to sit down every single solitary day and write anywhere from seven to 10,000 words. And I was like, that's so many words. Uh, how how did you uh, initiate the process? Did you already say this is exactly what the book's going to be? I know what the outcome is going to be. You had an outline. You mind talking about the process of the creation of the book itself? Yeah, I think they were different for both books. So um the first book, Great With Money, which I self-published, um, I had a co-author and in my mind, I thought Melissa was just going to write the book. I would talk and she would write the book and that like absolutely did not happen. Melissa is an amazing person, but um, it took us, uh, so we had a lot of the concepts there, but it took me switching on a switch saying, I got to get this done. And part of it was our daughter was very little at that time. And she's like, mom, you keep talking about writing a book. Are you ever going to finish it? Like, if that will get anything Ooh, done, it's your kid. That's like, motivating, yeah. 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 So, um, and 
um, we, I, we had, I had a model that I was using. So I was writing to that model and I found that really helpful. The second book was based on a workshop that I helped create called, um, your prosperity picture. And so this was a little different. We were, it was usually, I think authors might create a workshop from their book. We created a book from the workshop. So there was part of a process there that we went to a traditional publisher and we did a very involved, um, was like an 80 page proposal for the, for the, um, publisher. And so writing the book, we had all the chapter outlines, then it didn't become, it was, it was actually easier than writing the proposal was actually getting the book written because we had so much outlined. Did you have to shop it around? Yeah. Okay. Yes. It was, that was kind of fun. We got a um, really great, um, agent from people that I had been getting coaching from and working with. And he uh, initially looked at the proposal because he was doing a friend, a favor for a friend. He's like, really, we need another personal finance book. And he looked at it and he just loved how we were coming at things differently. Met with us, was like, great, I'm in. And there was a lot of stuff that happened before then. So I'm not saying like, oh, we went to our first agent and it was so easy. It was not. Um, and then from there, it took another, so it took us probably a year to write the proposal. And uh, Scott, our agent was like, oh, great, I'll bring you out to New York. And it was probably seven months later till that actually happened. There was stuff going on in the publishing industry. So it was a really long cycle to get this book from concept to I think a lot of advisors think they do this with uh, podcasts, blogs, videos, and I think books, uh, you know, I will write it and they will come. Uh, how did that go for you? That will not be the case. That was not the case. My first book, I don't even know how many copies we sold, not many. And, and it was okay because part of it is I think the first question to ask is, why are you writing a book? Is it a positioning statement? That first book got me the consulting arrangement for um, the mutual fund company because I was an author and it got me some more speaking. And um, yeah, I did some book signings and things, but it wasn't like it sold much. Um, the second book, we got a nice healthy advance from the publisher and 98% um, of it went into marketing the book. So PR firm, marketing company, website, all that. Well, let's, let's, I want you to pull that apart a little bit more, right? So, um, what break each of those down? So, so web, website, you have to have a site for the book specifically. Um, how did you drive people to the site? How did you drive awareness to the book? How did you increase the overall book sales, um, with that capital that you had gotten as an advance? Yeah. So, um, let me first say this was pre where your strategy now would be major social media. That was not part of our strategy. The, uh, the first edition came out in 2015. So not like there was no social media, but it wasn't like it would be now. Um, we had a New York PR firm and they got us on all sorts of really great media you know, I was on, MP we were on NPR. I, we were in the New York times, uh, mutual fund section, the Sunday before the book came out, which I didn't even know was a possibility. Tony Robbins book came out at the same time. And I think I'm making up a backstory. I don't really know, but I'm thinking the guy didn't like Tony Robbins book and wanted to have like some counter And our books, very different, of course. Um, 
so there was a lot of nice press, which now is on my website. So as a speaker, like there's all sorts of great ways that was a, a beautiful investment in my positioning. Um, we did a big uh, campaign of buy one, we donate one. So the book was really um, not written. It was targeted towards women. It wasn't titled for women. It was written with women in mind. The workshop is clearly geared towards women. And um, so when someone would buy a book, we would donate one to a, a women's shelter or somewhere like that. And that felt really good for our values and also boosted sales. And a lot of it was our network. And then because my co-author was part of this big mutual fund company, they bought a bunch of books for um, giving out when they are doing events. And that is helped a lot. And that was really why we got the big deal with the major publisher. If it was just Ellen Rogan, my platform wasn't big enough to get that kind of publisher and that kind of advance. So what was a mixed blessing with this whole process? Like what, what uh, was something that you're like, I, I've said this on the show before. My wife told me if I try to write another book, she'll divorce me uh, just because of how stressful that it became. But then after the books came out uh, and the amount of business that it got, the amount of awareness it got for me and our brand, uh, it, it she understood and it made a lot of difference. What was a what was something about this whole process that you were like when you were in it, you hated it. But now looking back on it, it might have been a blessing in disguise. Yeah, so um, I would say that I, I often say it's way more fun to have a book than to write a book, unless you're a writer and think that's fun. Like I didn't do well. I was a math person in college. Right? I was an econ major. I was an English major. That was my worst grade probably in, in, uh, at college. But, um, I didn't actually hate the process because I love what I was writing about. I would say, honestly, that where we, where it found, where it felt like a push instead of just allowing it to happen was in the marketing. Like, oh, we want to sell this many books when it first comes out. And we felt a lot of pressure with that. And what Lisa and I, Lisa King is my co-author, what we did when we started to get too focused on the numbers is we stepped back. And this is really my view on business in general and said, okay, why are we doing this? Who are we serving? We really felt like this book and still do feel like the book is really a different approach on how to look at your money. We knew we were going to serve a lot of people from it. And that got me off the edge of th that sales push. I think, I think people think that instead of giving some themselves that space, that it is such a grind that they have to just continue grinding. But I've heard a lot of people on the show say, the greatest marketing happened or the greatest epiphanies happened within my business when I stopped focusing on it so hard and took a step back, took a breath, reassessed and checked in. Right. You, you said that a couple of times, Ellen, you, who do, who is this to serve? I wanted to serve, right. When you have that servants mentality, it really does fundamentally change how people, I believe, and this is my belief, receive your message. Right. Instead of you, you know, what can I do to get you in this car today sort of thing, which our industry has lived for many years. This changes it. What can I do to actually help you? If my services will help you, then I would love for you to consider me. And I think that there's a major pivot, kind of a almost like a teeter totter that's really or a pendulum that's swinging in this other direction. And I really hope it stays over there because it just makes 
for better and deeper and stronger relationships with your end user. What, what, what do you think about that? A hundred percent. And, you know, I attribute me going from an, okay, like a little below average, average producer when I had my practice to a top producer when I switched. There was a recession happening. People were freaking out about their money. And I went, instead of where some of my friends were like, oh my God, my AUM's going down. This is, you know, this fear spiral. I went, oh, people need me more than ever now. Like I was a planner. I did great work for our clients. And when I did that within a couple of years, my production went up incredibly and hit. And yes, I did some other decline events and things, but it wasn't a strategy. And I think that um, when I work with advisors, I see that they're looking for this magic pill, like, okay, what's going to get those clients in the door versus looking at themselves, their values, why are they doing it, what they're really awesome at. And that, that focus and then um, putting out what you want to get back is really what I've found grows business. Now, getting back to the book thing very quickly, and thank you for your your feelings on that. I, I really hope that uh, financial services professionals and the people listening to the show really do realize uh, um, that intentional mindset really change everything. When when it uh, when you stop living in the world of scarcity and you start living more in the world of abundance and realizing that you are as credible, are as experienced, and are as valuable as every other professional in this industry. I think that that switch just makes everything better. I mean, Alan, I've interviewed so many people for the show, and when they made that switch, everything changed. But, uh, you know, we started the podcast off talking about, you know, what it's like really to be an author and publish a book. If you had tips and tricks for financial services professionals who were interested in becoming a, a published author, what sort of things would you tell them? Yeah. So first is don't do it because you think you're going to make a lot of money. You know, maybe there's like one advisor, maybe more than one, who actually makes money from from their book directly. Like, yes, it will bring in other kinds of business, but don't think that publishing your book, it's actually more of an expense, even though we had this publisher it was maybe not an expense, but it certainly wasn't. In my first book, it costs money to, to write a book. You want it, you have an editor. If you're really like have great ideas and have absolutely no desire or ability to write, then maybe you hire a ghostwriter, which is not inexpensive. If you're self-publishing, there's expense with that. But the, you know, the good thing about that is you get your book out more quickly. You have more control over it. Um, I think those are really important. And to be thinking about um, using it as more, uh, yes, to serve, but also positioning. You know, we sent out copies of our, our book. I sent out to every single one of my clients, all my contacts is a gift. I wasn't like, Hey, buy my book. Of course not. Mm -hmm. And so most advisors I know who've written books, that's part of their strategy is to, um, make sure that all their clients and centers of influence have their book as well. What else? What, what about the what about the writing component? I mean, most people who are uh, thinking about writing a book, they have a job, right? Uh, and some of them are pretty busy. How did you manage that component of uh, authorship? Well, I think the first thing to do is figure out what time of day is your most creative that you can do that. So I am I love getting up early. I am super creative. I can get more done between six and eight than maybe the entire rest of the day. 
And so I started with my first book, Blacking Out, where I wouldn't take client appointments before 10 a.m. And at first that felt weird. Like, no, I have to do that. And I'm like, you know what? I really don't. <laughs> People will show up when, you know, it, it, did I ever make exceptions? Yes, but not very often. And so I would go to a Starbucks or work at home or find somewhere nice to work. And because for me, that background noise is tends to be helpful. And I would just write. And I found that that became a really enjoyable process versus like a heavy push. Self-publishing versus shopping the book around and getting an actual publishing deal. Um, I'm sure you're probably going to do this again because you got lots of great stuff up in that noggin of yours. Um, what, what would you do? I'm, I'm uh, unless something changes, I'm absolutely self-publishing my next book because I want to get it out there because, um, so, okay. So here's something that people think a publisher gives you. You think, oh, they're going to really promote and sell my book. Oh, they're going to, in the old days used to think it gave you more credibility. I don't even think people care anymore. Um, and, uh, they did, oh, they'll come up with a great title. That was ours. Cause I felt, I know how important a title is for your book. And I'm like, oh, there it was penguin random house of course they're going to come up with a great title and we had a great experience with them i'm not dissing them but they kept wanting to put women in the title and we had done a ton of focus group and women don't want to be called out as special like you're sitting at the girl you know at the kids table and and we were like no we do not want that in and we pushed back on that and um we ended up coming up with the title ourselves so that didn't come from them. The whole PR thing, the woman who was in charge of PR for our book kept saying, when are you going to hire someone? When are you going to hire someone? She quit like three weeks after we handed in our manuscript and they really wanted us to be working with our own PR firm. We had a great editor from there. Um, I have had some published authors tell me that they hired their own editor because they didn't like the editor they got from the publishing company. So like all these things you think you're going to get. Now, did they get us into airport bookshops? Yes. Did they get us in, you know, like positioned well on Amazon? Yes. So there are some things we didn't put out money to really write the book. Um, so, uh, but the self-published way, it's way quicker you know, if you, once you get your book done, you have to, um, and there's companies, I still have to do research on this because my first book that I self-published was in a long time ago, it was 10 years ago and the, the fields changed, but there's these companies you can, um, go to that will help you with all the interior design and the editing and the getting it on Amazon and other bookstores. So it's easier to do that now than it used to be where you had to kind of DIY it yourself. Now, here's my favorite question. <clears throat> what should I have asked you that I didn't? Oh, what should you have asked me that you didn't? Well, here's what I would say. Um, people, I've had advisors or other people tell me that they're working on a book for a really long time. And, um, and, and you know, Amy, our daughter, was the one that pushed me over the edge with that. I know that you've got ideas that need to be shared with the world. And who are you not serving by not just getting this done? And you know, I know you have very successful advisors that listen to your podcast. Like you can afford probably to hire somebody to help you get this book done. 
and there's lots of book coaches out there and companies you can hire. So do a little research and get it out there because I know you have a message to share. And even if it's not with a huge international audience, you know, it's with your clients and people in your network. And in fact, it's interesting that you say that we've had uh, three now, I think, book author coaches uh, on this show, uh, because I agree with you, Alan. I think there's so many financial services professionals that are out there who should be more actively sharing their thought leadership, uh, their tips, tricks, just their experience. Uh, you know, I, one of my favorite things an advisor ever said to me was, you know, Matt, all of my clients retire once I've helped thousands of people retire. I'm like, wow, what a powerful statement that is and how true that is. And I still don't think the general public truly understands, Alan, when you were an advisor, what it was like sitting in the room with you, right? What that actual experience is like. And when you're really truly working with an independent fiduciary financial planner, how that can impact you in so many magnificent ways. Um, I want everybody to make sure uh, that they know how to get in touch with you. Uh, so Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now, what you're offering. If people want to get in touch with you and engage in your services, what do those services look like? So uh, why don't you give us uh, some background on that, please? Yeah, thank you. So I'm, I I love, love, love speaking to financial services events. It's one of my absolute favorite things to do. One of the things that happened during um, COVID was I started doing master classes for advisors on how to really be extraordinary and how to grow your business in non-traditional ways. Cause that's what I did that we talked about going from kind of average to better than that. So I um, run master classes. It's a series and do some one-on-one -on -one, um, advising with advisors as well. And if people want to learn more, you can go to my website, ellenrogan.com. That's R O G I N. And if you go to ellenrogan.com, forward slash abundant advisor, you can download my special report, which is what extraordinary advisors know that others don't. And we'll make sure that we have all of those in the show notes. So Ellen, first off, uh, you know, thank you for taking some time with our audience today. We really appreciate it. That's number one. Number two, thank you for giving back so much. And that's one of the reasons why I followed you for as long as I have, is because I've always been really interested in your willingness to give back to the community um, that honestly, uh, there are a lot of people who want to give back, but you've got such a good idea, uh, background, something that's fundamentally unique and different because of who you are and where you are with yourself. I think you just bring some really great brilliance to our industry. So I want to thank you very, very much for that. Thank you for uh, giving our audience uh, some good enlightenment and what it's like to publish a book. Uh, and I think the best thing that I heard you say is, you know, if you've been working on the book for a long time, it's about time to get this done. And they do have the money, most of them to be able to do it, but they're looking at it as an expense. They're not looking at it as an actual investment, not only in their client's education, but also in their overall credibility uh, and overall influence. So Ellen, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. All right, everybody, if you have not subscribed to the show, I don't know what you're doing. Just push the subscribe button. Just come on, people. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, so number two, um, if you want to know a little bit more about influence, uh, please join the Pod Rocket Academy. It is free. So if you go to podrocketacademy.com, uh, you can go ahead and join our academy. This is going to teach you all sorts of wonderful ways to become more influential and maybe do some of the things that Alan talked about today, which is to fundamentally look at yourself and your practice differently. And therefore, you will then change uh, because you're going to be more unapologetically yourself. And Alan said that early on, right? Uh, she figured out who she was and how she wanted to serve. That 
gave her permission to be the Ellen that she always wanted to be, you can give yourself that permission too. And when you do, every single solitary thing changes. So for Ellen and all of us here at Proudmouth, this is Matt Haller, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to know more about how you can be your own loud, visit us at proudmouth.com and sign up for the Pod Rocket Academy. Through courses and office hours led by professional podcast producers and digital marketers, you will learn everything you need to know to become the trusted subject matter expert you were meant to be.